0: Father, well, we do pray for just the impartation of the Word of God. You plant it deep in our hearts and lives and change us. Make us more like Jesus. Fill us with your Spirit. Let your kingdom come. pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back in Texas. My ministry trip to Madagascar was great. It was fantastic. But the trip on the airplane did have an unnerving moment. After we reached cruising... Altitude, the captain announced. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to flight 293 to Madagascar. The weather looks good ahead. We should have a pretty smooth and uneventful flight. So sit back and relax. And oh my God! And he screams, and it goes quiet. <laughs> a few moments later, he comes back on the intercom. And says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry if I scared you while I was talking to you. A flight attendant spilled hot coffee on my lap." You should see the front of my pants. Well, the guy next to me yelled, Yeah, you should see the back of mine. (laughs) Actually, that didn't happen on my flight. It happened on another flight, but I love the story, so I had to tell it. (laughs) Well, this morning is Glorious Palm Sunday. And we want to continue our series on God's grand story, which is a series in which we're trying to get a good overview of the entire Bible But really, focus in a little bit on each section and how it applies to our lives. And this morning, we're going to finish the book of Genesis. Now, remember, we summarized the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, into four events followed by the lives of four people. The four events are, of course, creation, followed by the fall, the entrance of sin, followed by the flood, Noah's time, followed by the division of the nations, which explains why we have all the peoples and nations that we have now. Those four events in the book of Genesis are followed by the lives of four people. The life of Abraham, really followed by the life of his son Isaac, then the life of his son Jacob. Remember Jacob's name, God changed to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, and of course, there is a favored son, Joseph. And he's the one we're going to look at today, his life. In fact, Genesis chapter 37, all the way through the end of the book of Genesis chapter 50 is really about the life of Joseph. So let me tell you a little bit about his life before we delve in. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And this was no secret to his brothers who hated him for this, the younger brother. And they hated him even more. It intensified when he told them one day that he had a dream that even though he's younger, that he would rule over them one day. And so they finally had enough of Joseph and they decided to get rid of him. So they throw him into a pit and then eventually sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then they lie to their father about the whole thing with his coat. They say that the blood on his coat is a result of he was killed by a wild animal. Well, Joseph becomes a slave in Egypt. But God's favor is on him still. He he hasn't done anything to deserve this kind of treatment. So God begins to prosper him even as a slave, serving in Potiphar's house. Until Potiphar's wife lies about him and accuses him of attempted rape. So now he ends up in prison. But God's favor is still on him And things are going pretty well with him in prison because of God's favor. And the jailer, head jailer, trusts him. But he he becomes friends with Pharaoh's butler, who's also in prison. And he has this high hope that when Pharaoh's butler gets out of prison, he'll say a good word for him to Pharaoh and get him out of prison since he's done nothing wrong. But after Pharaoh's butler gets out of prison, he forgets about Joseph for two more years. So finally, after about 17 years, 17 years of nothing seeming to go right for Joseph, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, a dream that troubled Pharaoh. And Pharaoh rewards him for this interpretation of the dream and kind of makes him like vice president of the country and therefore like the world, since it was the world power over all of the resources of Egypt, the food, the land, for the seven years that the famine was going to come, which is what God spoke through the dream. So this famine is not only threatening Egypt. It is a massive famine that also threatens the land of Canaan, where Joseph's brothers and their families live. So Joseph's brothers have to find food, For the nation of Israel, these 12 tribes that they represent. So these brothers come to Egypt. And who do they have to come to in order to get the food? They have to come to Joseph, whom they do not recognize. Well, eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. A very emotional scene. But here's what he says to them. Now we're going to dive in. Here's what Joseph says to his brothers. Genesis chapter 45, starting verse 5. He says, and now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Do not be grieved or angry because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me. There it is again. God sent me. Before you, to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, listen to this. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Wow. Notice that word sent. It was not you, he says to his brothers, who sent me here, but God. Now we see this same thing in Psalm 105, where the psalmist is summarizing this event in history. Psalm 105, verse 16, the psalmist writes, And he, God, called for a famine on the land. He, God, broke the whole staff of bread. It's a way of saying there's a famine. Verse 17, he sent, he, God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. This word sent is really important for us interpreting the main text of this entire story. So now we're going to go to the main passage of Scripture of this entire story. Genesis chapter 50. And verse 20, again, Joseph is speaking to his brothers, and he says this, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So Joseph says, You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. I want you to think about this for a minute. How powerful, how big, how awesome does God have to be to be able to give billions of people free will, genuine free will, and include that free will decision-making, even the sinful decision-making in such a way that he still can accomplish his good purpose for his people. Does that not blow your mind? This actually is the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for God's people, including the evil that was done to Joseph. These are things it says that God meant to work for good. God meant it. See, God doesn't just watch history and go, oh, No. How can I turn that for good? That's not how God works. Just as Joseph's brothers meant it, purposed it, designed it for evil, God meant it, purposed it, designed it for good. That's why I said the word sent is such an important word in these passages. John Piper put it this way. He said, the brothers selling Joseph into slavery was God's sending for salvation. God is so overruling, so overriding that even with free decision-making and even sinful, horrible decisions, he can still, he still brings about his purposes for the good of his people. Amazing. God is so big that he's orchestrating good for his people through it all, even through some of the most sinful, horrible, tragic decisions and events that come into our lives. This is a major truth of how God works. God is way more in control than any of us believe, than any of us think. He is way more in control. He is the God of happy endings for his people. Now, we see this again in the book of Esther. Think about the story of the book of Esther. It's an amazing story. you got this young, beautiful Jewish woman who fears God. And she's forced into a harem. Imagine that. Forced into a harem of an unclean, pagan, Gentile king. I mean, what a tragedy. What a horrible thing to happen to this young woman. So why did it happen? Why would God allow it to happen? Well, Mordecai, her uncle, gives the answer. When the Jews are just about to be slaughtered by Haman's wicked plan. By the way, God does for his people through Esther just what he did for his people through Joseph. Here's how Mordecai put it in this one key verse in the book of Esther. He says this to Esther. Esther 4:14. 4, he says, "And who knows whether you have have not attained royalty for such a time as this." I'll tell you who knows. God knows. Cuz God orchestrated it. God purposed it. And now we know because we've read the story. Esther came to that strategic place through all her humiliation she had to go through. Even her defilement to save God's people. God works all things together for the good for his people. Again, God is way more in control than we think he is. And God is the God, our God is the God of happy endings for his people always. We see this again in the book of Jonah. Jonah, another small book in the Old Testament. Remember the story when Jonah finally admitted that he was doing wrong when he's on a boat going away from Nineveh. Remember God told him to go to Nineveh. He gets on a boat going away from Nineveh and God sends a storm and the sailors on the boat want to know what, who, who sinned that we got this storm. Jonah fesses up. It was me. And if you throw me in the storm, it'll probably calm down. So without a life vest, they throw Jonah into the storm, into the the water. And he's sinking because he recounts, he is sinking. There is no life vest. He is drowning. And by the way, that's horrible enough in the life of Jonah. But what happens next is worse. Because now this giant fish comes and swallows him whole. And you think about this for a moment. Now he's inside a fish. By the way, that's probably a great moment for recalibrating how you think about things. (laughs) And so God now orchestrates it. This fish spits him up on land, and he goes into Nineveh. He preaches repentance. The whole city repents. Once again, we see that God is way more in control than we think he is, and he is the God of happy endings for his people. Again, even in the most tragic circumstances, because some of you are thinking right now, but now there's no way my situation can possibly see this having a happy ending. It's not over yet. So even in the negative things of life, God is still sovereignly overruling, overriding with his goodness, with his sovereignty, with his wisdom, with his love for his people. So my question is, do you believe this to be true? Do you really believe it? Romans 8.28, here's what Paul says, Apostle Paul. He says, and we know. See, I don't think most Christians know this. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, this truth is a truth that we're supposed to know. It's supposed to be it's just deep-seated in us. We know that God's going to cause whatever that horrible event was, horrible circumstances, we got a deep-seated belief that God is going to use it for his higher purposes and my good. And by the time the story is over, there will be a happy ending. Now, if I know that, then when these things happen, I will respond differently when they first occur. So when something happens to you that's really bad, and by the way, we all have stories to tell. Do you instinctively respond with this inner confidence that God is going to cause good out of this somehow? In fact, God's going to cause good out of this that might have even required, might have been required that this bad thing had to happen in order to get where I need to get. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Again, we've seen we've seen in the life of Joseph in the life of Esther, in the life of Jonah, that does not mean there's not going to be painful situations. It does not mean there's not going to be very challenging moments. It does not mean there's not even going to be baffling times where you're just thinking, how, why, what? So it's important that we notice the truth about this verse, but I want to make sure we don't leave something out of the truth of this verse. This promises. This promise is only for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Let's talk about that phrase for a moment. Called according to his purpose. So if you've repented of your sin and turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you are born again, you're adopted into the family of God, you're going to heaven when you die, but something else has happened to you. You have now been called according to his purpose. You are now called according to his purpose. Your life is no longer just yours. Just live however we want to live. Each one of us is called according to his purpose. So your life now has keen purpose. And it's his purpose. So he is so going to be moving the events and circumstances of our lives for his purpose and by the time it's over it's going to still be a happy ending for us because he's the God of happy endings I want to tell you a little story about Madagascar but I got to back up I need to back up several years to a time where there's this young man named Hosea living in Madagascar, in fact, living in Tomatow, the port city. And a mercy ship comes in and docks there, and Hosea cleans the toilets at the mercy ship. And also on that mercy ship is a young lady by the name of Cheyenne. Cheyenne is a nurse working on the mercy ship. Well, Cheyenne decides to visit a church in town and to worship with the Malagasy people whom she has fallen in love with. And at that church, there's a young man, she finds out that the worship leader is Hosea. Hosea is leading in worship and they meet, and they fall in love and they get married. Well, Cheyenne's family lives in Texas. So they come back to Texas and they live about, oh, an hour plus time away from grace. But they meet another family called... In the name the days, who are making that hour trip to Grace. And they invite them to come to Grace. And so Jose and Cheyenne come to Grace Community Church. And Jose and I meet right over here in the welcome corner. And we get acquainted. And so and then the Lord puts it on my heart to really spend time mentoring both Alex day and Hosea. And really spend time with them and begin to hear his heart for his people back in Madagascar. And he learns about how I do these pastor conferences in different countries. And so he says, could we pray about you coming to Madagascar? I said, sure, we can pray about that. And we do. And he says, and he begins to talk to pastors back in Madagascar. This is two years ago. And he said, I think we can, we'll have 500 leaders, church leaders, at the conference if you'll come do it. I was skeptical. I said, 500? Can you really, I mean, do you have enough connections to pull you 500 church leaders to come together? And so when I got there two years ago, he was wrong. He had 550. <laughs> and God began, before that was when COVID first hit, began to stir the fire of passion for the Son of God and the fire of revival in these pastors' lives and these leaders. And so after that time, I'm getting constant emails from Madagascar, and so is Hosea asking us to come back to another city. In fact not the capital city, but the second largest city, Tomatov, that port city where Cheyenne and Hosea met. So we prayed about it and prayed about it. And uh, they said, yeah, we think we can get another 500 leaders to come from that part of the country if you'll come. Well, we got there a couple weeks ago, and they were wrong. There were 650. <laughs> and God just orchestrated a powerful move of his spirit, a powerful move of revival and stirring these pastors with passion for the Son of God, for Jesus. I mean, and also with a real vision for reaching their country. And I mean, I, I, I believe I've, I've seen some real, the fanning of re, the, the flames of revival in this country. In fact, I even thought to myself when I was there, I thought it would be just like God to start a world revival in a little poor place like Madagascar. It would be just like him to do that and spread it throughout the world. Now, this did not happen because of me or Hosea or any person. This happened because God purposed it. We got included in it, but God had a purpose. And then he worked his details of intersecting people and situations. And now revival is spreading through Madagascar. In fact, the last day we were there before we left, we were in another meeting with probably just a couple hundred leaders And the meeting ended with them grabbing each other by the arm and praying that God would not let the fire go out. Fan the flame, fan the flame. So God is way more in control than we think he is. And he is the God of happy endings for his people. Even through the most tragic circumstances, he brings about happy endings. So God is moving the pieces of your life way more than you think he is. He's orchestrating and overriding and overruling way more than we know. What for? To accomplish his purposes. And by the time it's over, bring about a happy ending Amen. for each one of us. Over and over in the Bible, this is the truth. Romans 8 28 really summarizes it. In fact, let me give you a couple more examples of this. The Apostle Paul. Remember, Apostle Paul had an ailment of some sort that he called his thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan to buffet me. But Jesus says this to Paul about that. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, Jesus basically says to him, Paul, I have a design in this messenger of Satan. I have an overruling design and purpose, and it is for your good and for my glory. See, here's the truth. All things, even thorns in the flesh, even painful issues that some of you are dealing with will work together for your good and the good of God's people. Amen. Now, on this Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, where we're focusing on the most important things that ever happened in history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even in this, this, this week, when we think about this most important event of all history, even that event shows that our God is the God of happy endings. Here's how this reads in Acts chapter 4. Let's look at this. Acts 4, 27 and 28, the disciples pray this. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen to this to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. In other words, even though Jesus is going to the cross, involved the sins of Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, nevertheless it was God's sending. See, they meant it for evil, But God meant it for good. In fact, they meant it for the worst possible evil of history, the killing of the Son of God. And God meant it for the greatest good of all history, the salvation of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation one day through what Jesus does on the cross. So again, God didn't just bring about good out of this evil and pain of the cross and out of the slavery of Joseph. He didn't just see it and see how can I make good out of it? He planned it for our good. God's plans and purposes work all things together for the good of his people. He is the God of happy endings for his people. It's guaranteed. I believe that one of the good things that God is working on the earth right now is a last day's revival. I believe there will be an end time revival and I want to give you three reasons why I believe that. I believe there will be an end time revival because I don't think we can finish the Great Commission without it. I don't think we can reach the hard unreached places of the earth without an end time revival that will just launch us into these places with supernatural anointing and power. Second reason I believe there's going to be an end time revival is I think the church, the bride of Christ will not Make herself ready, as it says in Revelation 19, we will not make ourselves ready to meet him without an end time revival. The church will not become the unified, passionate, pure bride that Christ is coming back for without a revival. And thirdly, I don't believe that the church is going to agree with the Spirit one day worldwide and say, finally, just say the greatest passion of their heart, the greatest cry of their heart is, Come, Lord Jesus the end of the book of Revelation, Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, come, Lord Jesus. That is their ultimate cry. That is the passion of their heart. And I don't believe that that can occur around the world without a major move of God, a revival, a stirring, a fainting of the flame of passion. Now, we do have a part to play in the purpose of God in sending revival. We're to pray for it. We're called to pray for this. See, Madagascar was hungry. In fact, one of the benefits of being so poor being so under-resourced, is they're, they're not running after all these things of the world for their satisfaction because they don't have them so they just run after God see one of our problems is as in, one of our problems is our prosperity and by the way I mean I, like, I enjoy prosperity and comfort as much as the next person but I also know when we have so much that we, we look for satisfaction in that it 's easy to squeeze out that passion for the Son of God to be the first primary passion of our lives so we 're going to be praying I praise praise God for the stirrings of revival fires in Madagascar and I think they're going to keep burning, and we 'll see what role God wants us to play in the future of that but the, the fires are burning and What Really, what's on my heart right here, right now, is that the fires will burn here. That they'll burn here, and that God will start a fire. There's already fires all around here in this this church family, but he would fan the flame, and there would be a fire that would spread. And it would spread around Texas and spread around the country. And so this Holy Week, we want to pray for it. We want to ask for it. And I'm asking all of us to be part of it. I'm asking all of you, all of you who... If you consider this your church to be part of this prayer week, and I'll tell you how. First of all, at 5 o'clock today, we're meeting back here. We need to pack this place out for just a 5 to 6.30 prayer meeting to kick off Holy Week and come in and come ready to be engaged, and we're going to go for it. But then you notice in this card you received, there's going to be prayer meetings morning, noon, and evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. One of these times should probably work for your schedule. It's pretty unusual if none of these times could possibly work for you. So find one time, just one of these prayer meetings you're going to come to. And on that day, you're coming to that prayer meeting, which we're going to be praying for God to fan these flames, for the passion for the Son of God and for his causes on the earth. That day that you're going to come to that prayer meeting, fast that day. Some of you say, well, I've never even really missed a meal. Miss one. You will live, I promise you. He said, I've never gone a day. Go a day. Just drink water, you'll be fine. And the time you'd normally spend with messing around with food and eating food and all that, pray. And we wanted, so we want to launch right into Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. We're going to launch right into that on on the tales of these prayer meetings. And we want to ask God to really stir and send these fires. And so, I hope to see you. Nobody can make you do this. But my prayer is that God might just put something in your heart right now. And so you know what? I'm going to do it. And let's see what God will do if we do. If we go for it. See, I think God's already orchestrated it. I think God's planned it. And now, He's invited us in. So as you close, I just want to Remind you that our God is a God of happy endings. So I don't know what each of you is going through, are going through, but I do know that we can form a long line and tell some stories of some painful things we're in the middle, middle of right now. But you need to know in the midst of that that God is way more in control than you know. And before, but before it's all over, he will make sure there is a happy ending because he is the God of happy endings. So we can trust him. We can relax and trust him. So I don't know, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it in this situation, but I trust you will. Amen. And I want to see how. So let's all stand for closing prayer. I'm gonna ask Hosea to come up here and actually lead us in just a moment of focusing on Passion for Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want more spiritual life, it comes from him. So close your eyes if you would, just a moment. Lord Jesus, this meeting is in your name and you promise wherever two or three gather in your name, you'll be there in our midst. And thank you, Jesus, that you're in the room. That you're in the room right now. And Lord Jesus, we're asking, would you fan these flames? Lord, some feel like a smoldering wick today. And Lord, would you fan that? Just the wind of your spirit, Lord, let the wind of your spirit blow over us. And Just ignite the fire. Ignite the fire. Jesus, you prayed to your father that the love that he has for you would one day be in us. So, Father, would you remember that prayer? You always answer your son's prayers. So, would you answer that today and cause there to be a growing love and passion for your son? So, Father, we pray, let the fire start, fire revival start right here with each one of us. We ask you, Lord, that it was spread. So now let's just let's just focus now on the Lord. Just keep your eyes closed and just focus on Him. You are here, moving in our
1: midst. I worship You. I worship You. You are here. Working in this place, I worship you. I worship you because you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who. Worship you, you are he turning lives around. I worship you. Because you are Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, My God, that is who you sing it one more time. Yeah, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, My God. Keeper right in the darkness
0: tell you we trust you today we trust you as the god of happy endings no matter what we're going through we trust you we thank you you called us according to your purposes and we invite you to use us lord in whatever way gives you the greatest glory and lord we pray that you would start a fire in each of us that will not go out that will only intensify until we just join with the spirit and cry out come lord jesus Come, Lord Jesus. Would you bless these prayer meetings, Lord, this week and cause it to be a spiritual momentum that will only grow in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray.